you have a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. If you don't, we're going to put it up on the screen. Uh, no problem. And so we're going we're gonna to continue our journey through the gospel of Matthew. We've been in this, uh, the book of the Bible, for about, I don't know, 26 years, and uh, give or take. And uh, we, we've been going through this a long time. I think it was last maybe August we began this journey. So, and we'll be uh, through this. Uh, I think we'll end right around Easter. Uh, we'll be wrapping up this series. And so Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Uh, I'm going to read this section, and then there's another section after that I'm going to read in just a few minutes. And so this is what it says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, uh, you've gained a brother. You've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two uh, others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell, go tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, two earth, uh, uh, if, if two or you agree uh, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them. But my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, uh, there I am among them. Uh, I, I mentioned this last week as we kind of delved into this chapter. Um, he, he, Jesus is covering two very important subjects. And uh, in, in this particular uh, section of Scripture, the, the second half here, Jesus is talking about uh, forgiveness. And so he spends quite a few verses talking about forgiveness. Last week we talked about the first half, which he answers a question. And the question he answers is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's the greatest in God's eyes? And so we talked about that last week. And then that continues, and he's talking to his disciples uh, he's having some important uh, life lessons and in, in conversations with his disciples. And, and he's addressing the very uh, important yet controversial topic of forgiveness. And, uh, and, and so he, he talks about practically, very practically every day in these first few verses. And then the following verses that we'll read in a minute, he gets a little bit more figurative. He, he shares a, a parable, uh, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. But a um, couple things, super important, that I want to just share before we talk about these verses um, is something that, that we need to consider when reading the Bible. Anytime you read the Bible, I think it's absolutely paramount that we, that we have a question. Uh, we approach every scripture with this question. Who is this talking to? And, uh, and who's the audience? Who's the target audience? Who's this being said to? Because some verses in scripture, believe it or not, aren't really addressed to you. And I know we read the Bible as if it's fundamentally about ourselves, but not everything is for us. Some stuff is for people who are outside of the faith. Some people, some verses are for people who are under a different covenant than we are. And so it's important to consider that. And two, I think it's also the context, the, the time, the setting, the situation, where they are historically. And so all that's uh, important to consider. And I'll do my best to, uh, to, to, to point out a couple things that have changed for us personally under the new covenant. And, uh, and I'll try and point those out in a minute. But, uh, but here is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And to understand the context and who he's talking to, 
He's talking to, uh, he's talking to his disciples who are uh, Jewish men who've been raised in the Jewish religion under the law, and they are still currently under the law of Moses. So Jesus spends his time teaching and, and, and instructing his disciples uh, but with two things in mind. What's coming, but also uh, addressing what is. And so he's pointing to a new covenant. He's pointing to a new life with him or after he leaves. And he's also talking about abiding and existing under the old covenant. And so there are some significant changes over time because of what Jesus did and the new covenant that he ushers in. And so uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, here's practical advice, though. He is encouraging uh, these disciples to work to maintain relationship and community with people that they disagree with. And he is bringing up this topic, this idea of forgiveness. And, uh, and so he's addressing something that has always happened, that will always happen. People get offended. Trust me, I know. <laughs> and I am gifted at doing the offending. I, there's a spiritual gift from God that he's giving me. And if I have not offended you yet, I can't wait to see you next week. And uh, I don't try to. It just happens. Uh, but, but he is addressing those disagreements, those arguments, those offenses, those hurt feelings, things that happen in life. Jesus is talking extremely practically, and he's talking about just uh, dealing with life together. Uh, something that came to mind in, in when I was preparing for today was, I think last week we, we talked about that question that the disciples had, who is the greatest in the eyes of God? Well, that question was on the heels of an encounter that Jesus had where he ascends the, the mount where he's transfigured and he takes along with him three disciples, just three. I don't want the whole team, I just want the starting three. And he takes them with him. So there might even be a little bit of jealousy in the ranks. It's like, why, why Peter? Peter's a bonehead. Why did you take that guy? And so uh, there might be some jealousy that, that that question even arises. And then here he is talking about forgiving offense. And so maybe all this is correlated, but even if it's not correlated with that very thing, it's just part of life. We get our toes stepped on. Some people are just not sensitive uh, to protecting our feelings and considering where we are. And so, but he's, the, the emphasis he's making, this is the point. He's not just saying, forgive because it's right to forgive. Forgive because I said so. He's, he's, he's putting something in front of them that is the priority. This is why it's worth walking through the process and fighting to forgive is for the purpose of maintaining relationship and community. That's the big picture item here. He's saying it's worth fighting for. This is a family. It's worth to fight for the health and the well-being, the peace of the family. It's worth it. Work it out. Uh, when I was uh, young, I was probably six, maybe seven years old, uh, my, my sister and I were hanging out. My sister, Charity, who's older than me by a couple of years, we were hanging out with my, my, our cousins and our aunt at the time. And so uh, we were riding around. They had, this is the 80s, they had a conversion van, which had the kitchenette. 
which is just ridiculous. If you, it had shag carpet. It was the most 70s, 80s thing you've ever seen. They had taken the kitchenette out. Uh, and so uh, left in its place of the kitchenette was a little PVC pipe that was for drainage that you could see the road through the PVC pipe. Uh, well, I was, I was like, that's cool. So I'm looking through the PVC pipe uh, to see the road as if I'd never seen a road before. That was so interesting to me. When we didn't have iPhones back then or tablets. This is, what, this is kind of stuff that entertained us. Who road? Uh, so I'm looking through the pipe. Uh, my sister Charity chose that moment in time to take a cushion off the couch that was in the back of this van. Again, very 70s. Took the cushion, hit me in the back of the head with a pillow. Shaboing. I mean, it was dramatic. We'll say at least. Four stitches. I still have a little scar on my eyebrow. People are like, what are you, vanilla ice? Why are you shaving your eyebrow for? I'm like, stop. Collaborate and listen. Anyway, so I, I'm like, guys, uh, I, I don't shave that. It's just a scar. So I, I've got, I got four stitches. And anyway, so my, my sister, this is not the first time she blunt force trauma to my head. But, you know, we are still to this day, um, I don't talk to her. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're <laughs> um, she's here. We're going to patch things up in front of everybody. And uh, no, Charity is one of, is my best friend, and so we, we, we got over it. We got through it. Even though she put stitches in my noggin, it's just a funny story to tell. And she used to put, like, Lee Press on nails in my arm and all this stuff. She, yeah, having an older sister, not always cracked up to me. That's why we just had one child. You're welcome, Berkeley. All right, so uh, I'm kidding. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we got over it. We got through it because we're family. Now, if some random stranger had popped me in the mail and, and, and gave me a scar on my eyebrow, would we still be buddies? I don't know. Maybe. But family's worth fighting for, and I think we have to keep in our, in our minds and our hearts, this isn't just casual acquaintances. We are the family of faith. We are the family of faith, and family works through stuff. So Jesus is, he's talking about that. He's saying, if your brother, who is part of your family of faith, he uses the word brother, if, you're, if part of your family sins against you. Now, that's a, that's a very generic term, but you can put it this way. If your brother offends you, steps on your toes, says something off color, makes, hurts your feelings, even does something that is, that is not, that is agreeably bad, talk to them. Talk to that person. Not talk, don't talk about them. Talk to them. I think there's a natural inclination in us, in our modern culture, that we like to talk about people more than we like talking to them. So we'll run and we'll start creating a, a jury of our peers and a committee to kind of agree with us, but we never, go to the, we never go to the person to say, that hurt my feelings, to give them the opportunity to say, that's, that's not at all what I meant, and I apologize, or that is exactly what I meant, I hate your guts, but at least let's have the conversation. And I know all of us hate conflict. No, the people that like conflict, I don't, I don't know that we want to hang out with those people. You know, I don't, I don't think any of us like it, but for the sake of the family, for the health of the community, we, we do this. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And he says, if, if that doesn't work, if the person's unrepentant, if, if, if the, the person's like, it's your problem, not mine, then the next step, these are very practical steps. Um, 
go ask a few other people to join the conversation, objective parties. Now, this is reaching within the community of faith. This is not just asking the person at the Taco Bell drive-thru, can you believe this guy? Um, thanks for the, the crunch wrap supreme, by the way. And so uh, you, you, you go bring people in that are, that are unbiased and obje- you know, have some objectivity. Talk, tell the story. <clears throat> talk about it. See what they say. And then if that doesn't work, the Bible says here, Jesus says, go to the church. Now, that's not to stand up in front of the church and announce, uh, put, put that person on blast and say, by the way. But it is to go to church leadership. Go to your small group leader. Uh, take it to the church in general to where it can be a conversation about the health and well-being of that church. Um, now, there's, there's a part of this that is... Uh, needs to be addressed in terms of context. Uh, Jesus says, if there's no resolution, then you consider that person as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, this is uh, to consider them as being outside of the faith. Uh, they're, they're not in the same family of faith as you. They are outside of the faith. They are, they are not believers. Uh, and the way that you, you think and consider and treat tax collectors and Gentiles just put them in that same category. You're not going to have a relationship. You're not going to do life with them. Well, that changes because Jesus kicks the door open and welcomes in a flood of Gentiles uh, after his, uh, his sacrifice, the crucifixion, and uh, under the new covenant made in his blood. Now the door's open to everybody. So this is no longer uh, an accurate uh, representation, but uh, it's still the, the thought is you... You can't maintain a relationship with somebody who's not willing to walk through this process. So the, the, the names change, the categories change, but, but not necessarily the, pro, the process and the heart behind it. In fact, you see this process in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 5, where you've got some stuff going on in the church, and a lot of people really latch on to the, the drama of the sin and where a, a, someone is um, having relations with their, um, their father's mother, or fa- not father's, father's wife, some Mori Povich stuff, and so uh, uh, not to get into all of it, and people are like, oh, that's the sketchy stuff, and it, it's, not, it, it's not even the topic or, or the category of sin, it's the fact that this person who was doing this and, and rift, putting a rift in the community of faith and, and, and hurting the church uh, was unrepentant and refused to change. And so the relationship was broken. And so the, 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 the call from, from the Apostle Paul is then, then let him go. Let him go do his own thing. He's not, he's not going to maintain the health of the family. And uh, he's obviously, uh, it's a whole picture of just dividing and hurting a family. Uh, then just let him walk away. Um, the, pro, the point of all this is the health and well-being of the community. Um, I want to I take a moment and pause, and this is something God, I felt God interjected this week just as uh, uh, an add-on. But in this process, we read this usually as if we're the ones who will be and usually are offended. And so we'll, we'll kind of start taking uh, notes on how to deal with that. So in Matthew 18, Jesus is laying out 
a, uh, a process of reconciling relationships through offense, through being hurt, through being sinned against. Um, something that we may or may not consider is when the shoe's on the other foot and we're the offender and we've done the offending. Maybe it was unintentional. Maybe it was intentional. Either way, uh, there are people that we've hurt their feelings. I know I have. And um, something that we need to keep in mind is Jesus institutes a process, and he, he, he speaks to it. He describes it. What if the other person who is offended is unwilling to go through the process? Who, who, is, who would rather walk away, burn the bridge, sever the relationship, rather than do the work of reconciliation. Maybe they don't see the value of community the way that they did at this time. And maybe they don't see the value of maintaining the family the way that we might. And truthfully, people will, they'll just walk away. What do you do with that? Um, This is my encouragement. And I think a lot of us live in turmoil, in this weird kind of place with that, space with that, you got to let people walk away. You got to. Even the prodigal son story is a story of a father, a father who let the child walk. And the prayer, the hope is that there will be reconciliation in the future because God can do that. But only God can do that. You can't. So if, if someone is willing to sever ties and walk away from your life, it's probably a good idea to let them go. Let them walk. Uh, I, I had this realization that if, if I could take all the time that I've spent in my past begging people to like me and to stay in my life, if I could have redirected that time and attention to the people who actually wanted to be a part of my life and prioritize them, I'd have a different life. Uh, I think there's people in your world that want to be in your world, invest there. And the people that don't, I, I think to, to, to demand that people chase you, Chase them down is manipulation, and I, I'm, I'm here. I love you. We can work it out. Just it's up to you, and I think that's a healthy approach to it. Uh, now, there's there's definitely going to be uh, a, a difference, and every this, this is not a generic kind of one size fits all approach. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule, but that's my encouragement. In the last few verses here. Jesus reaffirms the importance and significance of community. If two, uh, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, they'll be, it'll do, be done for them by my Father in heaven. If two or three are gathered in my name, I'm among them. Uh, this is him doubling down to say uh, God moves in community. God works within unity. God is about unity. One of Jesus' last prayers, make them one as we are one. This is his heart is not just a bunch of individual agents doing their own thing. It's the body of Christ being fit together and held together by what he supplies. Uh, in the next verses, Jesus continues the same subject, and, uh, and he continues it by asking or answering another question. So this is starting in verse 21, and we're going to read through verse 35. Uh, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So he's saying, when's the punch card full, and when can I say that's enough? And so Jesus says, uh, or uh, he said, he asked a question, as many as seven times? And then Jesus said to him, I, I do not say that seven times, but 77 
times, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, uh, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of, the, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave him, forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay, pay me what you owe me. Um, better have my money. I'm sorry. Stop it. So his fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, forgive me. I do not, I do not what I do. Have patience with me. That's, a, that's, I'm reading this. I'm also saying this. I, and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master what had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, forgave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Very intense story. Uh, Peter asks a question. So seven times... Forgiveness, is that enough? I mean, after that, this person is just ridiculous. And uh, Jesus says in this particular translation, this is the, the ESV, uh, Jesus says 77 times. In other translations, he actually says 70 times 7 times, and so which is 490. So which is it? Is it 77? Is it 490? What, where are we at? Um, it's not the point. The number is not the point. What Jesus is saying is let's shift our focus off of that person's deservedness or undeservedness onto something far greater. And that's when he kicks into this story. And so he tells a story of uh, someone who owns, uh, who, who has, uh, uh, owes a lot of money uh, and to someone, and, and that person forgives them their debt and says, it's, it's okay. I feel sorry for you. It's all good. And then that very person goes and tries to, to muscle somebody into paying them back and not forgiving their debt. Um, this is not a practical story. This is why, why Jesus is telling a parable. This is not a practical story. This is not like the first few verses that was step A, step B, step C. This is something that is more of a, of a heart and an intentionality and a perspective that Jesus wants us to have. And, uh, and so before we go any further with it, this is another part of the story that changes drastically under the, under the new covenant. Uh, because we read this, and we're like, okay, so if I have any unforgiveness in my heart that I'm conscious of or unconscious of that's there, then God cannot forgive me. Um, that is a scary thought, because I think we all have a little bit of, some of us have a little bitterness, some of us have a little unforgiveness, some of us hold grudges. Some of us just, we're trying to teach someone a lesson by withholding love and relationship from them so that they, they get the, the message. But we need to understand, again, this is Jesus talking to men who are under the law. And under the law, 
forgiveness from God was conditional. It was conditional. It was based on the person. The repentance, the sacrifice, the posture, the obedience, all of that was a conditionality that led to for God's forgiving of us. Um, something completely different is uh, everything changed. And we live under something completely different. We are under a covenant of grace, which is not our move first, then God moves second to save us. God made the move. God moved first. For God so loved the world, motivation, he gave his only begotten son. He made that move. Jesus lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the perfect standard of a perfect God for you. And then he died not just for you, but as you. So as far as the, the law, as far as sin's concerned, it is no longer you who live, but Christ. So your account is not settled by your behavior and your, 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 your morality. Your account is settled by someone who actually can settle the account. Someone who has enough resources to cover your debt. Because we can't pay it back. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 32, gives a, a little bit of a, 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 a turn on what Jesus says. And this is a, a new covenant turn. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. Under the law, life is... Uh, if-then statements. If you do this, then you'll get that. Give, and it will be given to you. Uh, Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Now, under the new covenant of grace, it's no longer if-then, it's because, therefore. Give, because he's freely given to you. Um, forgive because you've been forgiven. So it's because we are forgiven that we are free and inspired and led to forgive. It's not because we're trying to merit or earn something for God. It is because we are already there and we're trying to express what we already have from God. It's because therefore. And so that is a part of the story that is completely different, but the, the heart and the mentality, the sentiment, the heartbeat behind it, the priority that you see from Jesus remains the same. Now, forgiveness is absolutely a fundamental aspect of Christianity. There's no way around it. We're only here. We only stand before, before God because he forgives us. That's the only way. The only way that we can spend eternity with the Father is because of his grace to forgive us. That's the only way. We don't get in on our talent, our good looks, our good behavior. The Bible says it's not by our works. has nothing to do with our works. has nothing to do with our performance. We can't get in. We can't do enough to repay the debt. It is only by the grace of God. It is only because he forgives us. So all this is on, built on a foundation of forgiveness. But it's not an easy thing to do. We all value forgiveness when we receive it, 
But when it's time to give it, I'm not really as interested. We'll run to the opportunity for forgiveness, but we will drag our feet at the chance to actually forgive. There's some sort of leverage that we feel when we can withhold it. And there's something that is, I don't know, it's almost like a concession. Like I'm losing the battle when I concede and I forgive. This story is meant to shift our focus to something that is far outside of just our human experience. Jesus is purposely lifting our eyes to the impossible, incredible, immeasurable payment that God makes for you. Forgiveness for him wasn't just waving the magic wand and saying, you're absolved. Our debt had to be paid. Our debt had to be paid. God cannot coexist with sin. It's impossible. So God had to do something about it. So he did. We can't. He did. So he gave his only son to become, the Bible says, he became sin. He personified sin. He took all of it upon himself and then went to the cross and then that sin died. He was the lightning rod of judgment for us. So all of our sin, past, present, future, has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Once and for all. One sacrifice. Once and for all. So now, as far as God's concern, we are righteous. Because the debt's been paid. So what he's saying is there are people who who have received this impossible gift, something they could never secure in their own strength, even on their best day, they couldn't get there. And God freely gives it out of his own compassion and understanding that we can't get there. And then we turn around and we withhold it from other people. And we say, you don't deserve it. We'll do this with people we've never met in our entire life. We'll make judgment calls. We'll make, we'll make generalizations. We love categories and, and compartments and, and groupings of people, and we'll start making these big, lofty generalizations about that group, this group, that group over here. They vote this way. They vote this way. Hate them, love them, whatever. And here's Jesus at the cross. What's the thing that he yells out? After having just been beaten within an inch of his life and then hung on a cross, crucified, shamed by people that he came to save, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But that person hurt my feelings. I know. And that's real and it hurts. The leverage that we have, the power that we have, the the inspiration that we have, the fuel that we have to, to move past offense and actually forgive another human being is not found within ourselves. It's found when we lift our eyes to how he has forgiven me. Because therefore, because Jesus forgave me in all my countless sins that I, I dare not even admit to or acknowledge publicly, every single thing that I've ever, every thought, every deed, every action, every word, He has forgiven me because he loves me. Can I find strength in him to forgive and move on and maintain the relationship? That's the the point of the story. 
is considering the big, costly nature of God's forgiveness of us. Jesus intentionally spends 20 verses here, 20 verses, talking about the complicated and difficult nature of forgiveness. He knows it's hard. And he's talking about within the, within the, the, const, the, the, the construct of believers. He's saying, not even forgiving the people out there that, that don't have a clue and have no, no compass, moral compass as it relates to Christianity. He's talking about people within your own family and community. What makes forgiveness so difficult is because people, other people, can be incredibly careless and cruel and hurtful. They can be short-sighted. You put billions of people on a spinning rock, and all those people happen to be looking after one person, prioritizing one person. There's going to be a lot of situations where forgiveness is needed or required. It's just going to happen. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've left a situation where I was like, I, I was completely thoughtless in that situation. I said what I did not mean to say. I acted in a way I did not mean to act. You, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you realize I did not go into that situation meaning to be careless, meaning to be hurtful, but it happened. Why? Because I'm a human being. And we're all new at this grace thing, and we need to cut each other some slack. I want to I wrap up, first of all, with this. What forgiveness isn't. Uh, this is an important list. Because I think there's a lot of things that come. This is part of the reason the, the topic of forgiveness is so controversial. Because we, we, we let it run wild in our hearts and our minds. And it, it, it becomes a price that we can't afford. Uh, first and foremost, it's never an endorsement for what somebody else did to you. It's never a thumbs up or an okay for what happened to you. To forgive is not to say, that's fine, you can do that again. To forgive is, it has nothing to do with endorsing what happened to you. Number two, it's never permission for someone to do that thing again. In fact, that probably needs to be part of the conversation. It does not mean that the relationship will be the same. There's some things that when we're hurt, there's some things that just, I'm not dumb. And to invite that back into my life again, it may be a really bad decision. There's people I've been friends with that I would never hire to work for me. There's people that I've hired that I would never be friends with. There, there's people that you, you trust to work on your car, but when you, when you ask, you, you would never ask them to house sit or dog sit. You've got to have some understanding. We all have weaknesses. We all have shortcomings. And so this is not to throw our brain out and say, yeah, whatever. Some people hurt us in such a personal, deep way that you, you're not going to be the same friend again. So it's not about, it's not about emotional closeness. It's about maintaining family. It is not instantaneous. It doesn't just magically happen. It's something that requires work. It's something that requires commitment. It's something that you have to consciously give yourself to. And the last thing I wanted to say 
It's not really about the other person. Forgiveness really has, it has little to do with the other person. It has to do with me. It has to do with us. When I forgive someone, I'm not absolving them of their sins. What I'm doing is saying, I, I don't want to continue drinking poison waiting for the other person to die. Living with bitterness and a grudge and unforgiveness is toxic. And we have that coursing through our veins, and, and suddenly we start having a shorter fuse, longer grudges. Grudges happen more often because it becomes part of our identity. We want that, that, that's cancerous, and we need to get that removed and cut out of us. There's a lot of people that, and I, I admit this, I, I've tried to teach people lessons by, by, by removing my closeness or my, uh, my closeness to them, my relationship with them. I've tried to withhold love and approval so that they feel the sting of it. And nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, out of 10 they never get the point. People have tried to punish me with that same sort of mentality. And I'm blissfully unaware. I have no idea. So you're, you're really trying your best to hold my feet to the fire, and I'm tiptoeing through the tulips, and I'm happy. I got iced coffee in my hand. Life is good. I'm not getting the point. <laughs> um, it's not really the way that we're meant to work through things anyway. And it doesn't work. Something that's important to consider through all, all this, and it's, it's not said directly, but... The person that I've had to forgive the most in my life is me. And the person I withhold forgiveness from most often is me. The person I have the least amount of grace for is me. And uh, I don't know about you, and and, and I've said this before, but I I have this kind of self-hating, self-defeatist thing in me that has been a trial for many years. Um, The victory over that, or the victory through that, I should say, has nothing to do with me uh, doing the self-talk. Chris, you're a boss. Let's go! You're great. You're good enough, you're smart enough, doggone it, people like you. The daily affirmations thing does not work for me. It's, I can't do it without laughing. It's silly. It's because I'm not looking at the right mirror. I've got a funhouse mirror, and I see myself through the wrong lens. The focus is not working harder to see myself a certain way. The focus needs to shift. I'm looking in the wrong mirror. And so the only grace that I have for myself is when I lift my eyes and I realize, oh, you love me, though. You have forgiven me. You provide for me. You care for me. You keep me. You you protect me. You love me. You value me. You died for me. That's my victory. It's not self-talk. It's lifting my head, lifting my eyes to something greater. The amazing grace who saved a wretch like me. What forgiveness is. If I can put it in a, in a, probably, I don't want to oversimplify it, but this is to me, what, I've talked about what forgiveness is, and this is what forgiveness is in my eyes. 
It's what, it's what we don't deserve from God because we don't. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. God has no other reason to forgive us but for the simple fact that we're his and he loves us. God forgives us because that's who he is, not because it's who we are. He forgives us because he loves us so much that he would lay down his own life to spend eternity with us. So what forgiveness is practically for us, we're just vessels that carry that forgiveness. It's something that is spiritual, that is a personality trait, a characteristic of our God that we have in our DNA as new creations in him that we just carry as vessels and that we're able to now share with the world around us. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. What has changed my life over the last 46 years I've been on this planet has not been holding my feet to the fire. What has changed my life has not been rubbing my nose and my mistakes. What has changed my life has not been a slap on the wrist. What has changed me from the inside out has been grace being received in my life where I clearly didn't deserve it. Grace where it, it didn't belong. And truthfully, that's probably a good definition of grace. Forgiveness where it doesn't belong. I, I am transformed and changed forever. Because God's amazing grace towards me and God's amazing grace through others towards me. May we all be the carriers of that grace, the vessels of that grace, showing people who God is. Allowing the, the, the focus, the attention to shift off of our own human problems, which are specks of dust in the eyes of God in the scheme of things. Shifting our focus to something that is far greater, and that is the fact that God loves us enough to give his son to die for every single one of us, especially those who don't deserve it. In fact, exclusively those who don't deserve it.